0: Hello and welcome to Raise the Room podcast. I'm your host, Danica. Here at Raise the Room, we are trying to consciously raise our kids, re-raise ourselves, and by doing so, raise the vibe of any room we walk into simply with our authenticity. Now let's get to it. Today's topic is one that I think many of you will hold near and dear to your hearts (laughs) or at the very least understand on a cellular level, and that is being triggered by our kids. So this topic was not a topic that I actually had listed in my notes for podcast episodes, but in my life, when I get asked questions about things, those are typically initiations for me. So I had been asked if I was going to do an episode on this by three different people. And my pattern is to, if I haven't thought about it, I often just go like, no. And I brush it off. And then the second one might be like, oh, that's funny. Somebody else just asked me about that. And then by the third time, I am actually listening to what the universe is trying to send into my sphere. And I'm sure at that point, my team and everybody above me is like, for God's sakes, like open your ears. And I regularly feel triggered by my kids. <laughs> so it dawned on me that this would be an excellent podcast topic. Before having children, I had no idea that I would be triggered, not just so much, but but daily, truly. Um, I grew up in a household where my mom was so vocal about loving being a mother. She genuinely enjoyed having my sister and I home over Christmas break, spring break, summer break. Like she liked when we were off school and she got to hang out with us. And I'm so, so grateful for that attitude. Um, and I'm I'm not saying there were no hardships and I'm sure we triggered her to no end, <laughs> but... Um, it's been interesting because if I'm being totally frank, my experience since becoming a mother has not been the same. Like I very much cherish my alone time. I love hanging out with my boys, but to a certain extent, it kind of sounds awful, but it it is the truth. And I do have a different situation than my mom in that I am presented with triggers daily. Daily. Yeah. Completely Daily. So honestly, this is actually something I could spend a whole episode on, is sort of the feelings that I had around just my experience of motherhood not matching what I saw my mom go through and feeling kind of badly about that. But that's something we can get into on another day. And yeah, it's just taken me by surprise how regularly I am feeling exasperated and frustrated with with my boys compared to what it felt like in our household growing up. And obviously this is through my childhood lens, so I I don't know, but we definitely had a fairly harmonious household. And I knew that was different. Like, my sister and I didn't really fight. Of course, we had our differences and I was the older sister. So I was like, I'm going to hang with my friends, you know, sometimes. And that broke her heart, but we were always genuinely close. And she is my best friend to this day, my go-to person. And so I remember being at other people's houses and the siblings are fighting and the people are talking rude to each other. And that was just like new, I guess, for me and not what I experienced at home. And I don't mean that to sound braggy, but it is definitely part of my frame of reference and I think it is important to note when today I'm talking about being triggered by our kids because this is absolutely new ground for me. This is also a very fitting topic for today because I happen to be recording this on my birthday and my six-year-old uh, was up and not able to go back to sleep at 4 a.m. this morning. <laughs> and then my three-year-old was up at 5.30. <sighs> and, you know, just none of the day is about me. <laughs> that's not true. Um, but just, you know, in my head, it like would be nice if the kids just held it together and made it a little bit about me, you know. But that's not happening and that's Okay. This morning we were rushing to get my oldest out the door and I was taking my niece to school also and my youngest decided he didn't want to come, didn't want to get a shirt on, didn't want to get shoes on, like the whole nine. So he ended up getting put into the van with no shoes on, um, in shorts and a t-shirt and it is it's got snow on the ground here where we live um, and a blanket to cover him in the van. And I was just like, okay. And after we dropped... <laughs> Did the school drop off? I went to a donut food truck here and got myself birthday donuts, and my son obviously his natural consequence was well, you can either have me carry you or you can stay in the van. Well, I go get the donuts, so he had to stay in the van, and that was just you know the start to my thirty sixth birthday. <laughs> I'm not too triggered if I'm being totally honest. Um, the wake the early wake ups are are really hard. But this wasn't a moment where I was feeling too triggered, like not too triggered. (laughs) Just maybe a little bit sorry for myself, if anything. Now, the teacher in me wants to share a definition of the word triggered before we even continue on this topic, because there's definitely a few ways to take this. And when I'm talking about it in the context of parenting, What I'm really getting at is similar to the definition that I found on dictionary.com, which is having an intense negative emotional reaction to something, usually something connected with past trauma or a bad experience. Of course, this also lends itself to being triggered genuinely where you sort of lose consciousness, like almost like what veterans experience going back into the situation in their mind of the triggering event. This is sort of an extreme version of what I'm going to be talking about today. For now, genuinely what it means is when your child is pushing the hot button, they're doing something that is causing you to have A big reaction for a maybe small problem. Maybe it's a big problem, but often there's a mismatch in your reaction to what's actually happening. It's like what needs to happen is sort of right-sizing the reaction. I also read this interesting definition that says, it's not the situation that causes us to suffer. It is our thoughts about the situation that cause our suffering. Very telling because sometimes when you zoom out in a moment where you're feeling really exasperated by your kids, you can be like, okay, but actually they're just being kids and I'm getting annoyed. You know, like they're being super, super loud and it is making me insane, (laughs) but really there's no harm in that. Or, okay, they're angry. So they're being rude and I'm triggered by their rudeness, but they're just expressing their anger or they're ignoring me when I'm speaking to them. I'm getting zero response. And I'm feeling not heard or not seen. So realistically, I want them to answer me. But big picture, this is not as difficult as a problem as my feelings are making it out to be. In thinking about this, I came up with four different sort of situations that might explain why we are feeling triggered by our kids or even what the context is for us to be triggered. I'm not going to talk about what things trigger us genuinely because it's different for all of us because like I said, it's connected to your own personal experience. Often it relates back to some sort of unmet need from childhood that is then almost like an open wound that's being touched again. So the first situation in which I see us being triggered by our kids really regularly is when our kids are expressing some sort of freedom that we did not have, that we did not have the luxury of living out. And it's hard for us to witness because we weren't allowed to do that thing or be that way. We never actually developed the skills or the coping mechanisms to handle the situation. And so immediately we then become triggered. I'll give an example here. In mentioning my house and how it was pretty harmonious, I also grew up with a father who like does not have an anger button. <laughs> He's the best. Um, but anger isn't something that comes naturally to him. So anger was not Genuinely expressed in our house, we were obviously allowed to have feelings. My parents were super caring. If we were emotional, there was never any shame about that. Um, my mom was actually really ahead of her her time, I think, in just being a super compassionate parent. Um, but anger was not almost not acceptable, and. I don't think they intentionally meant it that way. I just think because of how all of our personalities work together, it just wasn't the knee-jerk reaction for anger or aggression to be the thing. So because of that, when I witness my kids being really angry, For a long time, it was extremely triggering for me because it was like, oh my God, I have to teach them emotional regulation because this is absolutely unacceptable that they're freaking out all the time. I mean, if you are in toddlerhood or you've ever had a toddler, you know that daily irrational anger happens. Unwrapped their granola bar and they wanted it wrapped up, boom, we're screaming and kicking on the floor. (laughs) And so sometimes actually not sometimes, still for me, anger when expressed, whether by my kids or even my husband, is really genuinely hard for me to take because I don't have the coping skills to not take it personally um, and to understand that lots of times it's not actually about me. It's more a reflection of what they're feeling on the inside. An extension of that is when the anger turns to rudeness. So I want to be clear it's not like all triggering situations aren't um, legitimate. Like definitely our kids and our spouses and the people around us can be doing something that's totally inappropriate and then it's triggering. It's not always like an irrational reaction. So, but for me, when my kids are angry and then rude or mean, I cannot handle it. Like I think that's totally unacceptable. One of my intentions as a parent is to try and have a space that is our house that is safe for them to express whatever it is that they're feeling. But the boundary for me is that you can be angry, you can't be mean. And I'm constantly trying to remind my kids of this. Like Even if they need to let out their anger physically, it's like, sure, go punch a pillow, jump up and down, run, get outside, like do something to get it out of your body, but you absolutely cannot physically take it out on other people or on... Something that's going to break, for example. So I get really triggered when they're being rude, (laughs) but at the same time, that's a boundary that I'm not okay with them crossing. So it's not completely like my own emotional reaction that's the issue there. It is a teaching moment. But When it's just them being angry, I've now, six and a half years into parenting, had a whole ton of practice (laughs) moments to get okay with their anger, with their big feelings, with their meltdowns, to be able to weather that storm. This can really show up to in situations when you have a child that is completely different from you and so it's hard to identify to them because they're constantly living out of freedom or behaving in a way that you have a hard time relating to and because of it, it's triggering. This also shows up in dynamics where Children take a completely different route than their parents chose to, you know, different sports, maybe um, different preferences that are hard for the parents to wrap their head around. That can be really triggering as well. And often that's just because we do not have the skills or haven't had the practice to weather that storm yet in our lives. And so our children as our mirrors are presenting that to us. And when we're intentional and conscious about what we're doing and how we're dealing with situations, we can then sort of take it in stride and take it as an opportunity. If you had asked me before kids if I'd be okay with my kid punching a pillow when he was angry, I probably would have said no. But then when I was... Gifted this beautiful, hot headed little human, <laughs> I had to pivot. Like, my ideas about my theories about parenting were very different than the practice of parenting. So It's about being able to roll with the punches and understand that it's going to take time. Like I'm still working on this six and a half years in, but I can definitely say that my tolerance and my ability to handle and my understanding of the situation has improved over time because this is sort of a trigger that I was able to weather down. And actually, I shouldn't say I was able to weather down. I was forced to weather down. Because if I was gonna be triggered every single time my little guy was angry, it would, it was a miserable existence for a while and it, it needed to change. I was not, I was not about to live that life. Another situation in which I find myself personally, and I think a lot of you out there might relate to this, being triggered is when we think of the idea of the good girl complex. <laughs> Those of us that have given into society's perfectionism standards and are trying to be everything for everybody, do all the right things, wear all the right things, be all the right things, it's a lot of pressure and it's something that's forced on us from the get-go and it's definitely heightened if you're a woman in a patriarchal society like we are, but the good girl complex definitely can influence our need to be wonderful, amazing parents and for our kids to reflect that. When our children are behaving in a way that doesn't align with our good girl expectations, we're triggered. We struggle because we then are facing a situation where we feel less than. I think that's the root wound there is that we're not worthy unless we're perfect. So when our children aren't acting perfectly, reacting perfectly, then we feel this age-old wound that we're constantly trying to cover up as perfectionists of feeling less than, feeling not worthy of the situation. I think that it's healthy to have expectations for our kids and for ourselves and to want to deliver. But when we are triggered you know, and we're having sort of a big reaction for maybe not as big of a situation, Um, it can definitely come from the need for perfectionism. And instead, as a conscious parent, we want to extend grace and understanding and compassion to our kids. And we have to do that to ourselves because we are also learning. We've never done this before. We're on the journey. And also if we're somebody who's trying to consciously parent, it means we're on the, what I call, long game parenting journey. We're not here for the short fixes. We're not here for the control tactics to get everything to fix right in the moment because often things need to process and they need to run their course in order to be worked through and healed. This means that we're going to face a lot of mess. We're going to face a lot of chaos and that things will not be perfect at all times. I've heard it said before that being triggered actually says more about you than the person triggering you. And I think that sentiment really can be applied to this good girl perfectionism complex where the kids are doing something that is probably just what normal kids do. They're being loud, they're being messy, they're expressing their feelings, (laughs) they're not wanting to go with your plan, whatever it is, they're doing the normal kid thing. But our perfectionism is rearing and so we're triggered. And that actually says more about the wound that we are experiencing than our kids who are just probably being kids. I want to be clear and sensitive that I'm not talking about situations when you're triggered because of like a flashback from a traumatic event. I'm talking about when your kids are hitting on something that's a hot spot. And so you're feeling big feelings, like I've said, for a situation that maybe isn't that big. And sometimes we get the big feelings for situations that are big. Of course, that happens too, but When it pertains to perfectionism, definitely having that zoomed out perspective can help. And again, it often doesn't help until we're outside of the moment, until we finally wrangled our kids to do what we need or they've calmed down or we're in a different environment or whatever the situation may be. Okay. And for our next sort of truth about what's happening when we're being triggered, it's very closely connected to this idea of perfectionism and the good girl complex, because I think that we get triggered in situations when we are being perceived in a way that we don't want to be perceived as a parent. And maybe I'm speaking just totally from my own personal experience. I'm projecting Um, but situations where we as parents have to make calls, you know, we have to like help our child through a meltdown in public. We have to make different healthcare decisions, which all of us in the pandemic in the last couple of years have had to face like, you know, our own boundaries about runny noses and vaccines and all the things we sometimes get caught in this, you know, in comparisons to classmates and other kids and how they're doing and what their family does and what other people's views are of how you do things. Our ego can be a real tricky bee because of course we want to come across as having it all together and being somebody who knows what they're doing and and mainly being somebody that feels confident in the choices that they're making. I think I get really triggered when I'm wishy-washy about something and I can tell somebody else doesn't approve because I'm not sure I even approve of what's going on. That's just a personal example, but definitely it can be triggering as a parent in regards, not so much as to what our kids are doing, but how we are being perceived by other parents or family members or members of our community at sort of how good in air quotes, our parenting is. This is a whole Facet of parenting that I never thought about until becoming a parent. It was easy before having kids to judge how my friends were parenting, to judge how my students' families were parenting. It was easy to have an idea of what I wanted and what I didn't want. And then, I mean, all of that goes out the window when you're actually faced with a little human who comes in with their own agenda and your life is turned upside down. But then you get into these situations where... There's all this comparison going on, like, oh, you know, we used formula, or we used natural diapers, or <laughs> we did sleep training, and then, you know, like, oh, or our family likes to travel with our child. We just take them everywhere, and ours is like, no, we, I have to be home for nap schedule. And it very quickly changes from you and your thoughts on how things are gonna go to you being or you feeling like you're on stage. And other people are witnessing you try to figure out how things are going to go. Or even an extension of this, it can be really triggering to witness other people perceiving your child in a way that doesn't feel comfortable to you. They have assumptions about what they are doing or what they're not doing or how they are, and you feel like you know their true soul. And it's uncomfortable when you don't feel like they're seeing the true them. This obviously is speaking to situations where you feel like they're being negatively perceived. Um, It's always a bonus when (laughs) you may expect your child's behavior to go one way and people are like, they were great. You're like, oh, thank God. (laughs) Your ego likes that. But I think that it speaks to our desire to want to be seen as good parents and it speaks to... Our needs to belong. You know, we all belong and, you know, we all conform somewhat to societal standards in order to belong. And when we feel like we're not seen, when we feel like somebody else is not in agreement with how we're doing things, there's that threat of disconnection, there's that threat of not belonging. And that can really be a tough thing to face. Actually, even if I think back, I'll give you an example. When my eldest son was in his first little daycare, and I would come and pick him up, and the daycare lady, it was her job to report incidents of um, any incidents, like any hitting, biting, either way, whether he was the perpetrator or not. So I go to pick up my 18-month-old and there was a phase where the girl would be like, he was biting today. You know, why were you biting? And kind of like chastising him in front of me, sort of playfully, but sort of not. I hated the feeling that it gave me of somehow feeling like a failure or like a bad parent because my 18 month old was biting. And it's like, well, you know what? He didn't bite before he came to daycare. Somebody bit him and then he started biting. (laughs) That's how it goes. They're kids. They're toddlers. There's absolutely no reinforcing this unless you intervene in the moment. And I'm not there in the moment. And if he bites at home, then we do what we need to do. But it's a phase that eventually he will get through. I understand the daycare lady was just doing what she was supposed to do, which was let me know that he was biting other kids. Um, And so I'm not blaming her, but the internal turmoil that I had about it, I was very triggered because I felt like, okay, well, what do you want me to do? I'm doing what I need to do. But my ego was coming up against feeling like an inexperienced parent, which I was, I am, we all are. But I didn't like that feeling. I didn't like feeling like somebody was judging me for what my kid was doing. And especially when it was like a normal childhood thing. (laughs) Very normal. I mean, if you've got a biter at home, you know, it hurts. And I think that there's so much power in just the awareness of your own ego and what it desires in life. And it just comes about very frequently in parenting. (laughs) But in life, sometimes we are upset about situations when really what we're upset about is feeling like we're being seen or misunderstood. Or maybe that's just me because I'm a projector and projectors need to feel seen, but I think it does apply. Although this is perhaps a good time to interject with a little bit of a human design chit chat about this because. Learning about my child's human design, both of my kids' human design and my husband's and myself has been really helpful in understanding our differences, different needs, different energetic makeups, and therefore being aware of when I'm being triggered and and being triggered by something that is just naturally their way. They're not doing it to bug me. They're not doing it to be malicious. It's just how they are. Or when I'm being triggered by something that's not going my way, it doesn't match the needs that I have as a projector, and knowing that it's nobody's fault. We just have a mismatch of energies going on. I'll give an example being a projector mother, so projectors need space and rest, and our energy ebbs and flows. To two generator boys who wake up with ants in their pants. All the way consistently until sundown. They have to go, go, go. They need lots of stimulation. There have been many mornings where I've been very triggered because the kids are so loud and ready to rip right first thing, like early and the first thing. And I, as a projector, really need to ease into my day. I need to have slow time. I need to have me waking up time. And in parenthood so far, I've not had that luxury. My kids are up and at them and they're ready to go. So, learning about human design and learning that that was a piece of my projectorness and a piece of their generatorness, I can now just go like, okay, it's they're not wrong, they're not crazy, they're not incapable of calming down. However, what is happening is there's a mismatch. They actually are good to wake up and you know, be running and jumping off the couches like energetically. That does align with how they are. <laughs> It doesn't align with how I am, and I don't love it Um, from another parenting standpoint of just like, you know, normal behavioral stuff. Like, no, I don't want you doing that first thing in the morning. But it also gives me good intel to down the road when my kids are old enough to like wake up and exercise on their own if they want to. Like, that's actually a great way for them to start their day. And it gives me the understanding as a parent to offer them a little bit of compassion, a little bit more leeway. And compromise, like, okay, my mornings are not gonna be the way that I want them to. I can ask them to play if they want to, but with quiet activities to start. And we can work together. We can make the dynamic work together. Um, It's not perfect. I think, still, every Saturday and Sunday, both my projector husband and I are triggered by our kids up at the crack of dawn and wanting to go outside first thing, (laughs) which once you're able to do that um, unsupervised, like, Peace. See you later. Daddy and I are sleeping. (laughs) Have fun. (laughs) But because it involves us right now, it's it's hard. And so human design has just been helpful in understanding our differences. Intuitively, I already could see our differences because they were waking up and ready to go. (laughs) But at the same time, there's sort of this teacher part of me, this parent part of me that wants to like mold and shape them into something else. Like, what if I just leave a puzzle in your room and you do that when you wake up and it's not working and then I get frustrated and, you know, them not understanding time. And it's like, okay, we can go outside, but we can't go out until, you know, closer to 9am when it's not going to wake up the neighbors, (laughs) us running around and they don't get time. And so they're freaking out about it. But knowing that actually for them, it's healthy and it's normal and it's just Genuinely, their nature to wake up and be at level 10. And so it takes a little bit of the pressure off me to try and fix. Things. I can try and shift and adjust our dynamic to make it somewhat work for all of us. I mean, we are all compromising. The boys are not getting to be level 10 right off the bat, and I am not getting to be level zero for the first half an hour of my day. I've tried setting my alarm and waking up ahead of them to get alone time, but man, these kids, I swear they can sniff that out because as soon as I set my alarm for half an hour earlier, they're up that time that day. So there is just some peace in the understanding and the ability to make the necessary moves and just leave all the self doubt behind. I'm really excited and honored to say that today's episode is sponsored by Van Isle Hairstyle, a hair care and accessory brand that promotes healthy hair and is home to the original Zipper Scrunchy and Silk Heatless Curl Set. Amanda, the founder of Van Isle Hairstyle, is the epitome of a manifester in human design. She was going for a run one day, and didn't have anywhere to put her keys, so she followed her manifester urge when she got home and sewed herself the zipper scrunchie, and thus Van Isle Hairstyle was born. Beyond adorable accessories like clips, claws, and scrunchies, she now creates her own shampoo and conditioner, scalp scrub, and more. Her products are paraben, sulfate, silicone, and phthalate-free, cruelty-free, and vegan. I swear only a manifester would decide to make her own shampoo. You guys, the scalp scrub is an absolute must, and I also love her shampoo and conditioner. My hair feels so clean and silky after, and it smells really, really good. I can't finish this ad without talking about the heatless curl set, however. This is a game changer for your hairstyle. Zero heat and you have beautiful beachy curls that last all day. It's a regular in my routine. For Raise the Room listeners, Amanda has gifted you a 15% code to use on her website, vanislehairstyle.com. That's V-A-N-I-S-L-E-H-A-I-R-S-T-Y-L-E.com. Just use the code RTR15 to claim. That's R-T-R-1-5. So let's raise the room with a good hair day. Thanks, Amanda. Okay. So bringing it back to reasons or situations why we get triggered. The final one is a simple one. It's when we are burnt out, (laughs) when we have not been taking care of our own needs and when our patience is thin. (laughs) This can just be from, you know, maybe not getting enough exercise, not getting enough alone time, being super busy. This can be from not having enough you know, joy in your day, being in a really stressful situation at work that you're bringing home, whatever it is that is stretching you thin, it's going to make you more easily activated. Bottom line, we see this in our kids all the time. They're hungry. (laughs) They're tired. Like they're a nightmare. They're out of their routine. There's new things going on in their life. Like the transitions are hard. If those things are going on in your life too, you are going to be more easily upset by things that maybe don't typically bother you or do typically bother you, but you're just quicker to snap. This one is sort of short and sweet because there's not tons to expand on here because it's a very clear message. We have to take time for ourselves. We have to prioritize our joy too. It's, you know, the oxygen mask on the airplane thing. You got to do your own before you can help anybody else. Your bucket needs to be full. Sometimes, in parenthood, that is easier said than done, or a lot of the time it is because you're really in the trenches. When you're in the thick of having little kids in your house, it is hard to find time, make time, find motivation, et cetera, to do what you need to do. But remember when you do that, you will actually be able to show up better. And when you show up better, your kids show up better. And it's a really vicious cycle when it's going the opposite way. You're unhappy, they're unhappy, they're unhappy, so they're making you unhappy, you're unhappy, so you're making them unhappy. (laughs) Remember that when you do prioritize the things that make you feel good and that are truly nourishing, truly, truly nourishing, you know, sometimes things make us feel good because we are numbing and self-sabotaging, but what i'm talking about the things that you really get a lot back from like exercise or journaling or being with really good friends or getting to pour into a creative outlet that really speaks to you or whatever it is that fills your soul. Those things will give back to you and in turn give back to your children. So take care of yourselves. Let's take care of ourselves. Okay, my teacher side is really showing because I now want to summarize all that we've spoke about. So the four insights that I've touched on about being triggered and what's happening when we're triggered or situations, sort of the underlying tone of when we're being triggered by our kids are number one, when we are witnessing our children express a freedom that we were never allowed to express. And so we don't have the skills to cope with it and it sets something off in us. Number two, when our good girl complex, in quotes, or our perfectionism tendencies are rearing, when shit's messy, as it often is, and it's hard to handle for us, it hits on that, I am not worthy unless I am perfect, wound that I think a lot of us have. Number three, closely related to number two, when our ego is bruised about how we are being perceived as a parent... This definitely goes hand in hand with self comparison to other families, other people, other kids, and wanting to control the narrative on how, quote, good of a parent we are. And number four, when we haven't taken care of ourselves, when we are burnt out and ready to snap and need, you know, a big old mug of coffee, glass of wine, cup of tea, alone time, whatever it is. And things are getting under our skin really easily because we have not prioritized anything of substance for ourselves. We will be triggered by the busy little humans we have around us. This next section, I want to talk just briefly about what to do when you're triggered, but it's going to come from a little bit of a different lens because who I found in my Google search was Dr. Daniel Siegel. He's a neuropsychiatrist, and he is an excellent author of many children's books that really lend themselves nicely to being a conscious parent. He wrote The Whole Brain Child. He also wrote No Drama Discipline, which I really enjoy. And when I found his take on um, how to help somebody that's triggered online, I thought, oh, perfect, because people need to know about him. He's amazing. and Lots of people know about him, but I was excited to mention him here. So though what he has shared online is actually what to do as a parent when your child is triggered. Yet I think it's a perfect thing to share because we need to think about this is what we need when we're triggered. What can we do to help give ourselves these things when we're feeling triggered? And it also is a nice reflection piece to think back to when you were a child, when you were upset and triggered, did you get these things? And if you didn't, how does that play out now? So he talks about the four S's. The four S's are what our children and teens need from us when they are activated. So first they need to feel seen. (laughs) Okay, am I a broken record or am I a broken record? They need to feel like they're being perceived deeply and empathically. Enough said there. You know, there's so much to be said for just sort of feeling validated in what we are experiencing. Next, they need to feel safe. We need to avoid actions and responses or reactions that can frighten or hurt them, obviously, but they need to feel like they're safe in the expression of their activation. Number three is being soothed. So once they feel seen and safe, safe, you might be able to move into soothing territory, Um, I know with my children, they really like to (laughs) hang out in the scene territory for a long time, lots of expressing of the feelings, and I'm like ready to get the show on the road and get over it. And they're like, no, I'm going to scream for a little bit longer, mom. But once you get over that, you can move into the soothe category and help them deal with their difficult emotions and situations. Sometimes this is just physically comforting them. Sometimes this can look like talking about, Solutions or problem solving together. Sometimes this just can simply be reiterating that you understand where they're coming from. And finally, the fourth S is secure. They need to feel secure. We need to help them develop an internalized sense of well-being. Um, easier said than done, Doctor Daniel Siegel, but it makes sense. We want them to be confident. We want them to be resilient. And so these moments post big meltdown, meltdown post the kids being triggered are really wonderful teaching opportunities. And that goes for us as well. When we are triggered... It's a really good moment after the fact to look back and be like, okay, what was really going on there? I mean, being activated like that is a mirror. It is completely an opportunity from the universe being served up on a silver platter, like, hey, this is something you need to work on. Because when we're not activated by something, when something does not bother us, we're not ruffled, we can just take the situation, view it with compassion and let it wash over us. When we're not able to be that way, there's something there that we need to kind of work on, or something there that is that still has a hold on us. And that's okay. I mean, we're not all like monks, (laughs) just with no expression. We're humans. And so there's nothing wrong with that. We're not going to be soothing, calm, gentle parents all the time, but when you're a conscious parent, you are somebody who wants to look at your own patterning and go like, man, I get so annoyed every single morning. Why is that? What's happening? And start to take the steps to try and unpack it a little bit, because the best way we can help our kids is to help ourselves and to work on ourselves Annoying, I know, (laughs) and sometimes feels not related at all. It's like, okay, so my child who literally only eats fishy crackers, like, how is me working on myself gonna help that? I don't know, but I guess we can start somewhere. Okay, so the final segment here today, I have put a poll out to Instagram to just hopefully infuse some humor in here uh, to talk about the situations in which we find triggering as parents. (laughs) It's endless. So the first response I got, which is one that I think all of us can feel so deeply in our bones, is when they don't go to sleep at bedtime. I think because I'm just so ready to finally relax. That's from Amy, my friend. And that's so true. Oh man, we feel like we've put in a full ass day with those kids. We've done it. We've made it through the day and we are looking to that glorious reprieve, which is bedtime and they're not sleeping. Like, is there a situation where you feel more robbed? I don't think so. (laughs) I feel this one really deeply. Okay, these next two are from a gal named Tawny and she says, when they ask me for something more than once while I'm already getting it. That's the moment when we sometimes find ourselves going, can you see what I'm doing? (laughs) They're not even looking sometimes, they're just barking at us to get the thing done. Tawny also says, when the thing happens that I told them would happen when I asked them not to do that thing. Now, this one, I mean, this happens on the daily, I'm sure with kids, but this one also has the possibility to be kind of satisfying because, and this is going to make me sound evil, but like sometimes when they do something that you tell them not to do, and then you might get the win of them hurting themselves. Okay. I'm not trying to be sadistic here, but you know, if they get like a minor injury, but you've told them not to do the thing and then they get hurt by it. It's the ultimate, I told you so. I mean, sometimes then we have to deal with really dramatic, big feelings, (laughs) but still it's like, well, I am not being a nag. Like I told you this was going to happen and it happened, or I told you this wasn't a good idea. So there you go. Okay. Amanda says the constant whining and screaming. And this one comes up a couple of times because yeah, overstimulation is real as parents when we have to deal with the kids just being really loud all the time. It's hard. (laughs) My friend Stephanie says, in the morning when they're not listening and getting out the door, and then I feel like I'm being just like my parents who were constantly running late and huffing and puffing about it. (laughs) Oh, Oh my gosh, the morning madness is so intense. And I remember when I was teaching in the elementary school classroom, I always made sure that the first 15 minutes of the day where it's like a group sit together, check in, just a slow start seeing how everybody was feeling because so many kids had had hurried, scattered, sometimes activated mornings because you're trying to get out the door and there's so many things happening. So I was always very conscious of that. And that was before I had kids even. And then now that I have kids, I'm even more like team. That's a good idea. (laughs) Okay. Kate says, um, when my son yells back disrespectfully, I know it's because I was told that as a child is rude. Yeah, fair. Disrespectful when they're being rude. It's so hard to take because, you know, as adults, we know that you can't speak to people that way. It gets you nowhere. And then when the person who you've literally had a life altering experience for (laughs) is that way to you, you're just like, "Uh, excuse me, how dare you? Brittany says transitions, especially when they really love what they're doing. And they become hard. She's got a generator daughter, so that makes a lot of sense. Jennifer says, when I've asked them a thousand times to do something and they still haven't done it. Oof, yes, they're not being listened to. At like an older age, for older age kids, looks like that. It's like, I told you to clean the bathroom and four hours later it's still not cleaned. So annoying. Or, yes, another one she says, when I'm in the middle of something and they interrupt even... When they've been asked not to. Yeah. So she's got um, older girls and definitely it's like, if you just really need focus time and it's so hard to get, and you know, they can manage for however many minutes you've set them up for success and they still intercept. Ooh, I'm getting triggered just reading these. <laughs> oh my gosh. I've had a few different people put bedtime routine. Yeah. So brutal. So so brutal. Mickey from Our Manifestation Journey says, when they argue with everything, I say. <laughs> this one's really hard because it it comes up against sort of the the need for control. And often as a mother, we're the one with the mental load needing to control everything. So then we've come up with a plan that we feel like is fair and will work for everybody. And then when the kids butt up against that plan or argue with the choice. It's so frustrating. It's just like, oh, can you just, I've done this so things can go smooth. You're getting in the way of my plans. (laughs) Or just arguing to argue. Yeah, they're really tricky. Um, Sam says, when I can't understand his wants because he shrieks over and over. Oh, yeah. When they're really young and they still aren't good at verbalizing what's going on, it can be so hard because you're really trying to get to the bottom of it more than anything. And then you find out what it is and it's like so unreasonable, you know, they wanted the blue cup. are <laughs> <You're> like, really, <laughs> this is what we're doing? She also says hitting, yeah, when they're physical with you, it's so hard and it's like not their fault because developmentally they can't manage and we as rational adults can know that and still be triggered because physical, what's the word? Because reacting physically is not okay, bottom line. Um, Jill says, getting kids to enjoy their toys versus their technology constantly, as I type this on my smartphone. <laughs> so true. Yeah, we're really in a new world navigating this these technology boundaries that we have to as parents, and modeling's a big one. I'm so guilty, I think we all are, of not modeling good independence from our smartphones. So there's something we can all work on together. These were great, you guys. I think I started the beginning of this episode saying I wasn't going to do this, and then halfway through recording, I was like, I'm going to ask people, because you know what? It's interesting. There's so many. I'm sure you're all listening, screaming at your phone, going, what about this one? What about that one? Let's not get all ourselves all triggered and worked up before the end of this episode. In fact, it might be a good moment for all of us to just take a deep breath. No need to be worked (laughs) up. If you're listening to a podcast, then maybe you're in a bit more of a peaceful situation than any of the ones that um, I just listed, or you're in the middle of them, but you've got your AirPods in, so you're blissfully (laughs) unaware. The intention for today's episode was to just highlight some of the bigger picture perspectives on what being triggered or activated by our kids looks like and why this can happen, I also think it's important to just acknowledge that when we are trying to do our best and consciously parent our kids, we then, when we feel we have enough bandwidth, take a look at what's activating us and try and dissect it, try and break some patterns, try and get to the bottom of it so we can show up in a way that we are truly, truly proud of. So again, thank you for spending your time with me here today. This one's a long one. I guess there's a lot to say. There's lots of moments that were triggered. I'm not surprised. So again, thank you. And I look forward to talking again soon. Thank you so much for spending your precious time here with me today. If you'd like more, please follow along at Room on both Instagram and TikTok. Or you can go to my website, danicamarie.com. That's Danica with the C. Here you can book a human design session with me for you or your child Or, you can get one of my Human Design Parenting courses that helps you understand your child's human design type. They are designed to help you work with the child you have, instead of against them. And finally, if you're still here, this would be the point where I'd ask you to rate and review the podcast. Except, just saying it out loud makes me want to die. So instead, I'll say, please share with a friend. I'd really appreciate it. And finally, let's always remember that with all that you have to offer, you will always raise the room. Can't wait to chat soon. Bye.